Lost and Sound is sponsored by Audio Technica. Audio Technica are a global but still family run company that make headphones, turntables, cartridges, microphones, studio quality, yet affordable products because they believe that high quality audio should be accessible to all. And I'm speaking to you right now wearing their M50X headphones. They're for the studio, they're for every day. I speak to all my guests wearing these headphones, including what you're about to hear. But whatever way you like to listen yourself, head on over to audiotechnica.com to check out all of their range of stuff. Okay then, Lost in Sound. To Lost and Sound. I'm Paul Hamford. I'm your host. I'm a writer, author, and university lecturer based in Berlin, where I'm speaking to you now from. And this is the show where each episode I have conversations with the musical innovators, the outsiders, the mavericks, the artists that do their own unique thing. And we talk about music, creativity, life, the things that inspire us to make the things that we make. Previous guests have included Peaches, Suzanne Chiani, Jim O'Rourke, Chili Gonzalez, Hanya Rani, Ghost Poet, Graham Cox and Mickey Blanco and Thurston Moore. And today on the show, I have a chat with pianist, composer Roger Eno. My book, Coming to Berlin, is in all good bookshops and available by the publisher's website. That's Velocity Press. And Lost and Sound is a substack too. If you like writing about music, about writey-writey, musicy type things, um, there's a link in the, in the uh, podcast description for that. Check it out. Okay, so today, right now, I'm speaking to you from Rosenteller Platz in Mitte in Berlin. If you're not familiar with this area, this is kind of like the Soho of Berlin. It's it's quite busy, there's lots of trams, there's there's lots of life, it's quite fast, fast particularly in, in comparison to lots of uh, other parts of Berlin. And it's quite also quite contrasting, <laughs> quite a lot contrasting with the music and the daily life of the guest I spoke with today. Yes, his name is Roger Eno, pianist, composer. His music is often described as ambient. And when I hear Roger's work, I hear a great deal of space. It's basically like there's so much space in his music. Sounds, there's no sounds that seem to be in a rush. And rather like last week's guest, Simo Cell, there's a real emphasis on how to play with silence. Um, but yes, 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 Roger is, of course, the younger brother of Brian Eno, um, his first, Roger's first recording experience was with his brother as well, as well as producer Daniel Lanois with the album Apollo Atmospheres and Soundtracks back in 1983. That's a seminal record. That is one of those albums that 
even if you don't realize it, even if you don't think you've heard music from that album, you have. You absolutely have. And that might be because you've watched Train Spotting. It is, of course, the music from the toilet scene in Train Spotting is, is part of, is a track from uh, Apollo. Um, but it's, it's one of those albums that has infiltrated the musical landscape over the last, I don't know, what's that? Almost 40, yeah, 40, 40 fucking years, blimey. Okay, but Roger then was very young at the time, much younger than Brian. Roger made his first solo album, Voices in 1985 at the age of 26 he's had a really interesting life before before he got into releasing music he spent time as a music therapist he even busked for a while and and uh, since then has been making music for films or rather he has uh, a lot of his music has appeared in films and also he spent a lot of time refining and defining his own piano style partly influenced by Eric Satie partly influenced by the surroundings of where he lives in the English countryside and we spoke because he's just about to release his second album on the very 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 revered German classical label Deutsche Grammophon the album is called The Skies they shift like chords um, it's out in October. It's a beautiful record. It's it's one of those records. Again, it's so, it's so contrasting to where I'm I'm sat right now in one of the busiest, most metropolis-like parts of Berlin. It's an album full of quiet and um, and beauty and emotion. And I had a really good chat with them. I really really enjoyed chatting with Roger. And you're going to hear it now. I've been really loving the new album and listening to it again in a cafe this morning, just preparing some notes. I was listening to the track Illusion and right. it's the, the way that the piano and the strings both have space for each other. Um, with your music, it sounds like every sound is there for a reason. I kind of get the feeling that there's no nothing is there by accident. Is that sort of like an intentional process for you? It's completely intentional because the... Um... A lot of the stuff that I take influence from isn't musical. It'll be poetry or um, how would I put this? Well, it's art. Gen generally, visual art does it for me. And out of those, there are some particular favourites that I have, like Rothko Vermeer is one of my mm. favourites. And these people work basically in silence. Vermeer is a master of, of painting quiet, if you look, there's a great one, you know, one of his hits, which I went to the Reich Museum to see when I was playing in, um, or was it the Stadelik? Stadelik, I think it was, mm -hmm. in in Amsterdam a few months ago, which is called a street, a house or a, st a street in Delft, I think it is. And it's basically people wa washing their a courtyard in down a little alley. Mm -hmm. But the overall uh, feeling of this is one of atmosphere rather than visual events, thanks to be. So what I try to do is to replicate in music what those uh, influences give to me in either poetry and art. Poetry is about taking a subject mm. and then making illusions out of that. So you're using that as a, um, as a starting point. You're using the poetic as a mm. starting point and making this um, a kind of mirage that people can then interpret in their own way. So I'm starting to use much more now gaps in music because I like the idea that 
there are there are places where the listener <clears throat> has a chance to uh, consider what's happened and what's going, what might happen, mm. so that they became they become part of the uh, of the compositional process. Whereas before, but I don't like the idea really of a of a composer or a writer saying, "This is what I think, and this is what mm. I expect you to think." I like things to be much more ambiguous than that, and and actually more interactive, if you like, with the in my case the listener. So it's it's like you're putting down. Like you're putting down like a kind of a suggestion, perhaps. With yeah, the music. exactly. So in these gaps that you spoke of, what I like the thought of, I don't know whether people will do, do it or will do it, it, but is that they've got they've got time to make up a part themselves. Mm. They can slip their own little piece of jigsaw into the bit that's missing, which I think is quite a nice idea. Even if it doesn't, if people do don't do it, I like it as an idea. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a, that's a little bit reminds me as well as a little bit of like um I, f- I first came to that sort of concept around music around the kind of the classic John Cage kind of idea sure. as well you know like and firstly you know when I, was, when I was a kid I just didn't get that then I kind of realized that you know it kind of allows you to sort of just hear what you want in that space as right. well you know w- was that something that was important to you um, I didn't think of it as intellectually as that. Mm. I just naturally gravitated to things that um, had more space in them. I, I got to Cage through Satie, Eric Satie, mm. in the in the mid to late seventies. And when I heard his music, I was at music college at the time, and that meant studying like forms and sonata forms and fugues and biddly bar, you know, things like this, basically the complicated stuff, which I really had no interest in because as soon as I heard what Eric Satie was doing, I thought this is just genius. He's stripped everything extraneous away, leaving this extraordinarily tender skeleton. Mm. So that as soon as I heard him, I thought, well, this is this is my route. I had I had a really good piano teacher at the time, a fellow called Robert Bell, who got the noise a noise out of the piano that I, unlike I'd heard. So all I wanted to do was learn how to get that sound, because once you have a particular, um, it's like Gilmore's guitar. You know, he doesn't mm. need much more than a strap. And you, he's off, you know, that's mm. his thing. And I knew that if I could get this sound that Robert had, then that would be my my way into a into a, a composition style that basically most people overlook because mm. they're too they're too involved with the the technical and the flashy and the flamboyant and yeah. the the you know, the basically overpowering. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting what you're saying about that. I mean, like the kind of idea of like too much technique and stuff. And I, I feel that that is something that's still pushed in kind of Western academic music to a degree. Completely. The, uh, the, it's, and it's quite sort of masculine and patriarchal as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Isn't it? You're right again. Yeah. Well, that's that's how I kind of view it. Mm. <laughs> it's all it's sort of ego based. If you're calling that masculine, then I'd agree with you because I think mm. they're you know, there might be. I'm, I'm not qualified, and there's not enough time to go into the what potential differences there are between sexes. Mm. But um, you do tend to think that, or I do at least, tend to think that masculines are a bit more bolshy and they want to shout a bit louder than females. Yeah. <laughs> Which, um, 
generally, believe me, that isn't my way of doing things. Although mm. I obviously I can throw a wobbly occasionally. <laughs> well, we all do sometimes, don't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see by your nails you're a guitar player. Um, oh fuck! No, that was actually maybe these are long lingering from a long time ago. I I, I did play guitar like I was in bands and stuff like right. sort of in the late nineties, early two thousands. But no, mm-hmm. this is this is probably just from writing. All um, oh, right, and, and the kind of destruction you get from living in Berlin, really. So yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> is that where you are? Yeah, this is where I am. And you, you recorded part of the album in Berlin as well. Exactly, I was in Teldex. Which yeah. is, I'm trying to think, I don't actually know which, I think I did know which part area it was. But that studio, Paul, I tell you, is, um, mm. it's just top of the range. It really is extraordinary. It's one that, um, that Deutsche use for their, for their artists. Mm. And the, the, I'm not a big tech head by any means, but, you know, it's full of vintage Neumann mics and amplifiers mm. and preamps, and the people that work there are proper experts, like to- tonmeisters. Do you know that term? Um, yes, yes, from living here, yeah, yeah. All right, so they're mm. top of the range. They're like yeah. not only musicians, technicians, they're physicists and mathematics. They're just these mm. big heads with ears that are there to help you, and it's a real honour you know, to work <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's it's amazing, isn't it? Because as well, because it's like your second album with Deutsche Grammophon as well. Right. And I didn't realise until I kind of researched a bit further, but they, they were like the longest running record label in the world. Now they, I think they were the first, weren't the they? First, Did they start yeah. in, I think, 1898 or something like this. Yeah. I'm not sure. It's worth checking out because I could be wrong. But yeah, I mean, they've just been going for, well... Yeah, it's over a, over a century now, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. right. And and so to, to join those ranks and stuff like that, you already sort of built up such a reputation beforehand. But sure. to, to sort of be, you know, part of Deutsche Grammophon and I guess the connotations of, like you were saying, the Tonmeister stuff, the kind of, uh, you know, the German precision and the kind of sort yes. of how did how what did that mean for you? You know, what did that sort of mean in terms of what you fed into your artisticness after that? There were two things that happened um, that made me have to. Do you mind if I just put a light on? I've got a nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So what happened was that within a couple of uh, maybe a year apart or two years apart, I got my old college gave me a doctorate, an honorary doctorate, which I thought, oh, this is really, really cool. Frankly, I was very, very pleased with that. And then Deutsche signed me up, Deutsche Grammophon, which obviously. Coming from a kind of classical background, if you like, you know, mm. they were one of the record labels. If you went to a classical, you'd go for Deutsche Grammophon. Like if you went for jazz, you'd go for Blue Note. Yeah, there are some mm. some labels that have got an ECM came later. Mm. With, uh, Winter and Winter, do you remember those? I don't remember uh, Winter and Winter, no, no. Yeah, that was another German company. They, they were mm. great for packaging. I mean, they did a real number on their they were uh, on their CDs, but they used lovely materials. So there are these sort of kind of specialists. And when one of those asked me to join them, I thought, well, I'm going to have to read. People are now thinking about me unlike I'm thinking about myself. Because mm. <laughs> I'd, I'd just say, oh, I'm just doodling around, you know, because music came out and this mm. sort of thing. And I sort of had to, without getting 
big-headed and losing humility, I thought, hang on, I'm, I'm, I'm being seen as someone serious. Mm. So perhaps I'll start <laughs> thinking that way myself, <laughs> which has been quite a um, an education in a way. You know, when you when you think, I don't know, I, you know, I don't know your line, but mm. if you suddenly think, well, all these people are now thinking that I'm this, maybe I am that. So you have to kind yeah. of question, you know, to to look into yourself. Yeah, yeah, because that, that's really interesting, actually, isn't it? Because it's like. Um, did, did you sort of feel like, you know, like this was already you, but like to sort of be acknowledged of it must have been exactly. quite a sort of strange. You have to kind of climb into yourself, you know, the the, the you that's already actually been there all along. You know? Sure. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That's that's precisely what happened. But I also realised that after about a year, I've got to pull the brakes on because I was mm. tending to get a little bit more big headed than I used to be. Yeah. Which I didn't like seeing. So, you know, I, I, um, I took some... <laughs> unusual measures to, to deal with that. Oh, yeah. Was, um, well, basically taking a lot of strong cannabis and getting in a camper van and having a word with myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's like the dream, though, isn't it? Did you where did you go on like a bit of a road trip? No, no, I just went up to North Norfolk, which is very yeah. near. Because yeah. I love this. I know it sounds really unadventurous, but I love this area of England so mm. much. I mean, that's what keeps me in this country, really, because, mm. you know, it's, it's frankly, it's a pretty benighted place at the moment. It's, it's not great. No, it's had a Tory government for, mm. well, I was going to say for too long, but for, in my opinion, any Tory government's too long. Yeah, 10 um, minutes of a Tory government is too long. Yeah, you've sort of got the idea, haven't you, really? Mm. Next. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what, what what keeps me here, these, um, it, it, this is um, littered, isn't the term. It's blessed with just hundreds of Saxon medieval churches. And mm. these things, because Christianity is now basically out of, pop, uh, out of popularity, they're left alone. They're isolated, open places where, you know, I can I can go and sit and be on my own, which is, you talk about getting away from the world, that's doing mm. it. The most intrusion you'll get is from from a little old lady that's cleaning the brass rail near the altar. <laughs> or something. We always have a chat, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's why. How did I get onto that? Why I'm here? Um, yeah. So yes, I know why I only went to North Norfolk because I don't really feel much reason to go anywhere else. You can get away mm. from yourself within miles. You know, you don't have to go to. I was going to say Goa because that's where every bloody person goes to when they go to mm. India, which is a bit ridiculous because it's like going to Marks and Spencers. There's so many white people. <laughs> yeah, Marks and Spencers with like some kind of like tie-dyed. Nice. Yeah, tie-dyed yeah. Marks and Spencers. Yeah, that's that's the one. Summer yeah, range. I'm say that never having been. So what I'm saying is, that I don't. Mm. I, I travel when I work, which is a great blessing. You know, I get pl I get paid to go. Out of many, you know, where was I? A couple of years ago, I was playing in Tasmania, which is a place I wouldn't have thought about going to. Mm. Australia, Japan, all you know, all over Europe and USA and Canada. So it's not as though I live in a a kind of cave. It's just I don't feel the need to travel because I do, and I feel comfort and I can find what I want in this area. Basically, is what it is. Yeah, yeah. and I, I kind of feel with your music as well. I mean, you said before that you know, like. Um, most of the pieces of music you do are snapshots of things that were experienced in the moment. So, yeah. you know, like it, 
did the, your surroundings give you a lot of uh, the inspiration for, for what goes in? Completely, yeah. I mean, that's almost. I've got two basic subjects which I keep banging on mm. about. One of it is the geographical, if you like, or the, the what's it called? The psychogeographical is it actually yeah. one about? And the other one is is about how transitory our lives are. And it's 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 unfortunate. It's banging on really a lot about memento mori and these various mm. rather could be interpreted as rather gloomy subjects. But I find that sort of intriguing. You know, the the fact that the only certain thing is that one day we're not going to be here. Mm. But how do you cope? How do you build your life around that knowledge? What do you want to live with for these little for these few seconds in? geological terms that we're on this planet you know how, what do you want to how do you want to re-interact with people how, what do you want to to put out to help others these are mm. big these for me a bit of big questions yeah and i mean you know because it's that, that idea of like sort of it's also about like you mentioned about being in the present as well and and what how does that all play into the idea of the music and being in the present well by by the way of writing, basically, mm-hmm. most of my work comes from improvisation that are either uh, left intact or reduced. Mm. Because I'll often find that, or it's tempting to put more notes in than are necessary. So mm. it's, it's I, what I want on my gravestone is decomposer. because that's that's actually a process that i use it's taking bits out rather than Mm. rather than adding to um (laughs) so that's that's all about what is what is important now isn't it Mm. so it's working those uh those de- those de- with those delicate methods. I also write scores that the players can interpret themselves. So they'll be. Li- I don't know if I've got any a uh, hand as a pick. I've got some music lying around, but I don't know if I could find it. <clears throat> so these would be open scores, like um, various notes that they could play when they think it appropriate. So therefore you get a piece made up spontaneously. Mm-hmm. You've got a rough idea what the atmosphere is going to be because you put the components in. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you know roughly what a meal is going to be like if you use, um, I don't know, turmeric, kale. You know, if you've got oh, the yeah. ingredients. Mm-hmm. But what you don't know is how many ingredients are going to go into that piece at that moment, which mm-hmm. I find quite an intriguing thing. The other thing I really like about it is seeing classical music inter classical musicians interact with other people mm. more in like more like jazz musicians do mm. <clears throat> actually attentively listening rather than rigidly reading yeah yeah that that's really interesting actually isn't it because it's like um you were classically trained but mm-hmm. then like you know sort of there's so much improvisation that goes into your music and sure. you know you, you and also you sort of like you talk about like feeding off the environment around you as well um was there was there was there sort of you know quite, i think quite often classically trained musicians have a sort of r- rigidity you know they might be amazing at you know like you say reading music was this sure. did you have to, did you have to go for a process of unlearning at all ever to kind of be a decompositionalist no, because when I was, uh, yeah, when I was, uh, um, I mean, this is this is years ago. You know, I left there mm. in 1979. But what it allowed me to do was play in lots of different bands. So I taught myself many different instruments, 
And I was playing in folk bands, trad jazz bands, punk mm. band, orchestras, uh, choirs, the whole range of it. So most of these were improvising. It was only mm. the, the the kind of stuff I had to do to get through the course mm. that was about reading because the rest of the bands I was playing with was just having a, a – I played in the German umpire band. I played – Amazing. It was, yeah, yeah. it was called the Kellergeister, the Sellerghost. Sellerghost, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, that was just bizarre, that one, because we'd kind of play in mock – uh, Oktoberfests in London and this sort of thing. Wow. So you have all of the alcohol as well. I mean, that must have been quite a boozy sort of situation yeah, yeah, for the Oktoberfests. Yes, which I've always enjoyed. Yeah, I, I like a tiffle. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. Do you have any sort of like, rec- you know, like going back to the beginning as well? Like, was there a sort of experience you like that sticks out to you of like music kind of coming into your life from a from a young age? Um. It was always there, but the music was strange because my my parents, bless them, you know, working mm. class people, they were far from highbrow. I mean, extremely decent, very caring people. Mm. But they like like mum liked country and western, so she liked sort of Slim Whitman, Jim Reeves. Mm. Um, I can't remember. There was another one. What's his name? Oh, you know that that kind of school. Yeah. And Dad used to really like brass band and fairground music. So, you know, like carousel stuff. (laughs) Um, So I ended up playing in a local brass band when I was about, well, in my teens, which I absolutely Mm. loved. So it was all, I was thinking about this the other day, so it it was almost like that that was a sort of folk music, like brass band is is very, it's kind of scorned upon because it's like working class, not very intellectual. Mm. It's all about entertainment and community, Mm. all the things actually that I like. Yeah. Rather than have to analyse it, what do we do if we reverse this and make this a contra, a retrograde inversion of the first theme? Balls to all that. It's just, (laughs) isn't it? It's utter cobblers. Mm. You wouldn't go to a dentist with those things. Oh, yeah, I can see the problem. But what I'm really interested in, not fixing you, but talking about the problem. It's crap, isn't it? <laughs> well, I think discourse can just be, it can just be a ghost. It could be like a sort of echo chamber, can't sure. it? It could just be, yeah. And and then I think sometimes when that feeds into uh, music as well, I mean, I guess it's just about if I don't feel something when I'm listening to something, what you could write a million words about it or have yeah. a million arguments, but what's the point? Yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly why I'm, I'm sure why music exists, because it does mm. something beyond the verbal. It does mm. something far beyond the intellectual. It gets you to some to somewhere mm. where you can't explain why you like being there. Mm. You know, you can't you can't use reason anymore, which is kind of basically why I'm, I've started to sort of reject it in my life. You know, I like people that do use rationality because mm. it means my car works. you know someone's invented the fridge i'm all for that but Mm. that that person isn't me you know i can relate yeah yeah i don't want to think about fridges i just want to write stuff (laughs) yeah yeah, i think it was like about a couple of weeks ago um i changed the shower uh the the shower head for my girlfriend and and I'm so unpractical. I was like terrified of doing it, like terrified of pulling like the whole thing out of the wall. Yeah. But 
I actually managed to do it. And to me, that was like, I, I had this moment of feeling like the most alpha male on the planet, but it was just, <laughs> li- it was just literally sort of swiveling in a shower head. Yes. You know? yeah. Oh no, you've got a, you've got a swagger when you're doing that kind of thing. It's sort of <laughs> yeah. traditional. But there's, we also do that with music a bit as well, don't we? It was sure. sort of like, you know, the, is, it is, do you think it's important to have a bit of mystique about the process, even if it might be, do you like to be transparent or are there things that you like to kind of keep back, I guess? Uh, well, it, no, it's not through transparency, but it's very mm. difficult to explain how it's done. Mm. Because, for example, this this touch of the piano, I've been, I've been, that's been my bag for years. But to explain actually how you do it to someone, even if you wanted to give the trick away, is incredibly difficult because ostensibly you're still just hitting a keyboard. Mm. There are there are micro changes involved with this sort of thing, so it's not being pretend, uh, uh, prissy or pretentious, or even protective. And I don't know if I can get another P in there because that would be. <laughs> <random>. <laughs> um, but it's just that a, a degree the, the micro skill involved in that is very difficult mm. to explain. So no, it's not. No, I'm quite open about it. But I do ch- to tell you the truth. I generally joke about it to deflect it. Yeah, uh, I was reading a Seamus Heaney poem. Fantastic! Mm-hmm. What a writer he is. And it was about this man that he really liked, who was basically a kind of, who was a boozer. And um, what did he do? He wasn't exactly a poacher. Something like a poacher, you know. He was a bit mm-hmm. of a shady fella. And Heaney really liked him. But the the man would often ask, um, "So you're still doing the poetry, then, Seamus?" <laughs> and the Heaney, because he knew this area, didn't quite know how not to sound um, precious about it. Yeah. So he had changed the subject to something that this man would be more comfortable with. Mm. So it wasn't about Heaney himself wanting to not um, boast. It was about something that's easier to translate than a, 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 an area. Imagine mm. being a consultant in a hospital and someone comes to say, oh, so how was your day? How mm. do you actually explain what you've been doing when you've been doing open heart surgery? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm not saying my area is as, as valuable mm. as that, but, you know, you, you get the idea. No, definitely. I think that's just be that's just like being empathetic as well, isn't it? Like, um, I I try to do this thing where, like, you know, you're having a conversation with someone, and you say you're talking about a film, and they they talk about this film, and then they get the name of the actor wrong. Like, you know, you knew it was Dustin Hoffman in that film, but they say Gene Hackman. Yeah. I, I I don't ever ask. I don't ever sort of go, no, 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 that was Gene Hackman in that because I just right. feel like they're actually talking about something else that they wanted to tell me about. Sure, explaining sure. Yes. that, and then you yeah, bring no, it down a, to that thing, you know. No, that's a generous, um, a generous act actually, because yeah, you're right. You're not talking about the subject; it's just a tiny little error, and that yeah. error then becomes the issue, doesn't it? Totally. And then that person might have been trying to say something that they really wanted to convey. And then suddenly it's just been, they've been shut down. Yeah, sure. Without meaning to be, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it's really interesting, actually, because, you know, there's a lot of empathy going on when I sort of like look into your background. I'm really interested about this. um, You know, there's a point in your life when you returned to Colchester from London and Mm -hmm. you ran a music therapy course. I did, yeah. Um, Yeah, and and that's for for people with learning difficulties. And um, that's always, that's an area that really interests me. And I I wanted to know a little bit about that 
and how did that kind of happen and what was it you were kind of doing with that well at the at the time just before that i'd been mm. playing in loads it was, it was before the licensing laws changed in london so i was playing in like private clubs mm. and so my work i'd start playing at maybe half past 10 at night and end up at two in the morning drunk and paid mm. allowing me next day to go around um museums and galleries and parks and all the stuff that london offers you because basically i was being paid to have a party you know mm. And after a while of that, I'd kind of done that. And my I think it was my younger sister or someone found this, this job opening. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. I ended up doing this for two and a half years, running. Mm. Um, it was basically a little porter cabin in, in a hospital. This was in the early 80s when things were still chaotic. It was before care in the community, yeah, which is, was actually a process that didn't, didn't work. Like I won't go back to politics again, but um, it wasn't the best of ideas. <laughs> um, so basically, there was this, there was a hospital full of people that were. It was like, do you remember Woolworths had a pick and mix? Uh, I love that. Kind of, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, this was yeah. kind of like that in in the mental health world because right. there were people of all different um conditions let's put it that way mm. and some that were entered with no condition whatsoever they might have had an illegitimate child when they were young and mm. they ended up institutionalized so you've got this whole coterie of different um mm. experiences <clears throat> so i'm in i'm now in this running this um little department when they weren't with me they were doing other um occupational therapy activities such as making wicker baskets and mm. um i don't know origami or fucking something just to sort of <laughs> fill in the time frankly so when they came to me i thought well pro probably the best thing i can do is let them do what the fuck they want mm. because they're they're basically here for that well they're here they're on holiday so they don't have to go through these rituals of manufacturing anything. So I'd get out colouring paper and, you know, they'd just treat the place as, a, as, as fun. We'd listen to music. There'd be, there'd be some, you know, therapy like uh, physiotherapy, so, they'd, you mm. know, moving and what have you. There'd be a, a big stress on socialising because one of the things about music therapy is that it's a great way – Without verbal use, it's a good way to communicate with someone else or a start. Mm. And by playing even crudely an instrument, even if it's clapping or something, once someone else is clapping your beat, you're mm. on a level. You're on cer a certain level of communication with them, yeah. which can then be built on. So I wasn't just making it up, but it was more for me is was to give them an enjoyable life because it didn't seem like they were having a great time. Yeah. That that's, it's, that that, go, that goes back into what you were saying earlier on as well about the way that you know music is its own language as well sure. you know and, and it sort of bypasses the intellectual and, and then when you um, started recording yourself like I mean the first thing that I noticed was the Apollo album with your yeah. brother and Daniel Lanoir as well I mean right. how what was what was your kind of sort of recollections of of that that experience that's, that's definitely one of my favorite albums by the yeah, way yeah it's a great one isn't it i yeah. didn't realize how what an effect that was going to have on mm. on people and a long you know a long-term effect well what i've been doing i've been writing 
and recording pieces before. And often, as I still do now, I'll send, I'll send some examples to friends, you know, like mm. painter friends of mine or my brother and what have you, just sort of like people send used to send postcards, you know, this is what I'm up to, having yeah. a lovely time, this is yeah. what I made earlier. That sort of business. Yeah, I love postcards as well. <laughs> um, so I, I sent from memory, I sent Brian this like 90-minute cassette tape, this was, mm-hmm. of something that virtually there was there was virtually nothing happening in this music because I was in Sati land then, you know. Mm. And I guess he must have liked it because he asked me to go over and record in uh Hamilton, which is just outside Toronto, with Danny. So that was really my first, apart from being my big break, mm. and I, you know, um, which I don't think I realised at the time, because mm. most things, when you're just going along, they seem like, oh, this is happening, that's good. Well, this yeah. is happening, oh, that's bad. <laughs> you don't know <really laughs> what the sort of long-term repercussions of events are, at least I don't. Um and it was an utter joy because Brian and I get on really well. There is a big age difference. There's 11 years mm. difference between us. But this was an utter joy because the work was, I mean, it was it was, it was was the area that I wanted to be in rather mm. than kind of entertaining, you know, music that entertained. It was music for, that made you think and broadened, illustrated all these different things. And then, of course, we'd stop and laugh like drains. We'd just tell jokes all the time. And Danny was, you know, there, there are instances I can tell you, but it won't, it won't translate. It was just a great mm. time. And I mean, it came back great. This, you know, Danny Boyle, bless him, put one of those pieces in train spotting, mm. and allowed my wife and I to move house. You that know, it's amazing. Book. You get these remarkable. Yeah changes in your life you know they come along i mean we still had to get a mortgage but that's what did it yeah i I think i heard the same about um iggy pop but i think it was train spotting as well um kind of gave iggy pop the first opportunity where he wasn't living hand to mouth after yeah there you go you know yeah i can absolutely believe it yeah Yeah. which um you know good on danny for that Mm. He's got. I've been noticing things. He, he's got really good ears, like Tarantino. Has got great yeah. ears for music, mm. doesn't he? Scorsese. There we are. Yeah. We are. And and in the literary world, world, I've just been mm. noticing this trick that Ishiguro and Nick mm. Hornby both use. And there's another one, but I've forgotten who the third one is. Third author. And what they'll do, you'll be reading one of their books, and in a chapter, they'll put a the title of um of a piece that you and I would know, you know, a popular mm. so call it Moon River, just out of, mm. out of the blue. So what happens then, that tune is seeded in your mind and becomes the soundtrack for that chapter. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, yeah. a really, really good technique. And I only noticed it, as I said, with um, with these three people, and I've forgotten who the third is. Yeah. Might, might be Graham Swift, I'm not sure. Mm. Maybe not. Anyway, I'm not sure. But, no, but that's what um, that's what music can do. It can give you an atmosphere that over that both complements and occasionally contradicts the mm. you know the focal point. Yeah, it's really interesting that because you, your music has ended up in quite a few different films as well, sure. and like it is sometimes like I mean I take it some of the music is stuff that people have you know it's already been made and people have have used it and I and and has that been like a weird experience like um, 
seeing maybe a piece of music you've done and you have your own kind of memories of making it and then seeing it like juxtaposed over say Mickey Rourke and Kim Basinger. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Well, in one of those cases it was rather nice. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well, I'm in the the strange position of possessing virtually no memory. So when you say, you know, oh, you can remember having made it I work every day, so uh, th- this will become this will get mixed up, you know. Yeah. Because uh, I try and I try and write a, a new piece every day, at least one. Mm. So there's not um there's not an attachment until they become attached. Mm. Because if you know beyond that, they're just um they're in this great big pot of pieces that I've cooked up, mm. and it's up to someone to come along with a spoon to ladle it on their plate i don't know how long i can carry on this culinary analogy i like i like culinary uh you know i do try every few episodes to get a bit of like a kind of a chef metaphor in there somewhere yeah 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 like definitely like sometimes artists have sort of suggested like instruments sort of like the equivalent food of an instrument or or, or something like that like maybe ukuleles are like uh, someone thought they were, I think it was like capers or something, like yeah. in, the, in that you can't use them very often, maybe as well. Nice. Oh, that's um, nice. I've got, I've got you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so they're more, um, yes, exactly. Now they're not piquant, are they? Yeah. I'd put ukulele more in a sort of marshmallow area. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Definitely. You know, they're quite soft, aren't they? Really? Yeah. And they kind of go with campfires, but not much else. There we, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so it feels like at the moment it seems to be like, you know, with the two albums very recently both together, you know, like you seem to be on a kind of a roll. I mean, you sort of said just now that, you know, you do try to do a, a piece of music every day. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, when it comes to things like inspiration, is it, do you believe in inspiration or is is it more just a question of just working and, and then feeling it when something happens? I think if you don't work, mm. less happens. That's what yeah. it is. Mm. Um, I, I wrote a poem about a blank page, and it was all about by the time you finish this, it won't be blank anymore. Mm. So there's a, there's a kind of metaphor <laughs> there, isn't there? Yeah. But unless you do something, nothing is done. Mm. It doesn't. It doesn't take out the possibility that something might be done. But mm. if you're doing something, you've definitely done something. There's a definition by that by that action. Uh, and I also, frankly, I, I, I feel a bit uncomfortable if I'm not doing this mm. because it's basically the only thing I do. B does everything yeah. in my life because I just mm. haven't got a head for it. Mm. So that, that woman, she keeps us – she keeps – keeps it all together. Now, this allows me to drift off. Mm. And it, luckily, it pays to do that. Literally, it pays to do that. Because, that, you know, that allows me then to spend time reading and walking and all the rest of the stuff that you have to do if you want to lead, a, in in my term, what I think is a mm. creative life. Yeah. You can't do this and work in a bank. Mm. It just doesn't work because there's too many hours taken up saying, "Oh yes, would you like this in in uh, sterling or dollars, sir?" Mm. You know that sort. Of, I don't know. 
I mean, maybe you could, but I think it's bloody hard. There's so much that I think in terms of like when I approach creative stuff that isn't actually in the work you know, isn't actually in the work that comes out or even like going anywhere near like kind of like a keypad or, you know, writing or whatever. It's like, um, but I think that's sort of kind of quite often the thing that kind of gets lost in translation in terms of expectations of, you know, when you're, when, when you're sort of relating what you do to sort of another skill set or another like way of life is that, you know, I feel like sometimes I have to be seen to be working all of the time in the most obvious way. You know, like right. at my computer, just yeah. to justify that I'm doing something. Whereas, like, maybe I get the best ideas when I'm on a bus. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Push bikes are mine. Push bikes. Yeah, yeah. I imagine yeah. with your surroundings, that's beautiful. It's the push just bikes. ideal. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's also the speed mm. that um, that puts me where I want to be. Okay, so that was me, Paul Hamford, talking with Roger Eno for Lost and Sound. And we had that conversation on the 21st of September, 2023. Thank you, Roger. Thank you so much for chatting with me. I really, really enjoyed having that conversation. And uh, Roger is set to release his second solo album for Deutsche Grammophon. That is not his second solo album. Of course, he's made lots of lots of albums in the past, but the second for Deutsche Grammophon. And that comes out on October the 13th. It's called The Skies, They Shift Like Chords. And it's a really, really, really beautiful album, full of space, full of emotion, full of just the feeling of being transported somewhere somewhere where you know you, you can get the, the essence of where he lives in, in the english countryside from it um lost and sound is proudly sponsored by audio technica audio technica are a global but still family-run company that make headphones turntables cartridges microphones studio quality yet affordable products because they believe that high quality audio should be accessible to all i'm wearing a pair of the headphones now i really love their stuff go over to audiotechnica.com to check out everything they have okay so music you hear at the beginning at the end of every episode of lost and sound is by thomas giddens there's always a hyperlink um where you can go and check out um, more of his stuff there um really really exciting new stuff from him coming soon he has a new album coming out very soon i will be talking more about that quite quite soon anyway 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 i hope you're having a lovely day I hope you've had a lovely day already and chat to you soon.